Hey, we had a good church service anyways, huh? You gonna come up and read something? just showed this to me May 9th you got a word right during worship listen to this Kurt there is a wedding service starting the bridegroom king is on his altar awaiting his bride the Lord says today you have known you you have known funeral processions but now I will cause you to know wedding processions it is the banner over you not just fellowship of the beloved but the love of the beloved i will begin to meet you as your husband for i'm the husband the head over you i am one with my bride the lover of my soul it's time for a wedding wow. <laughs> let the kisses begin <laughs> that was good Yay. that was good yeah that was so that was so excellent, Kurt. Um, that's good. I walked in on Kurt in the uh, kitchen when he was preparing communion, and uh, you know how that child has a guilty look on their face, you know, you know, and you don't even, yeah, you know they're up to something just because that look, you know, wasn't paying attention to what he was doing. He was filling the bowl with these kisses. He's like, of all the times for you, walk in here. You know? And he has a funny, you know, I said, Kurt, I trust you implicitly. I'm sure it'll be fine that you serve candy kisses uh, today. But uh, that, was, that was really good, really sweet, really powerful. Um, let me get started, gather my thoughts, see where I'm going to start at. Um, I'm speaking on uh, We the People uh, last week and this week, and uh, going back to celebrate our Constitution last week, of course, Sunday ended up being on the 4th of July and uh, our Declaration of Independence. And um, as I've been revisiting history over the last few years and um, rereading things, things I miss, things that I think the new authors are including that have been taken away from our textbooks and our classes. American history is extremely interesting. And uh, when you have finally a hunger and a context for under, of wanting to know how did we get here, how do we begin, um, then the question leads you to really start getting revelation and seeing things. And so... Um, um, it's easy to perceive that we just rebelled against England, the British Empire, and that there was this revolution, and we know about the Boston Tea Party, and we finally came to the, there's this general consensus. We came to the place where we said, we've had it, we've had enough, we're going to uh, revolt, we're going to press back. But it wasn't in the heart of the colonists to rebel. They had... They had asked permission to leave, they had left, they had come, they had tried different things, and they were in pursuit of religious freedom. That was their main thing. They wanted to be free to worship and uh, to worship and not be in a state church. 
And I was thinking about how similar this was, the very beginnings of our church, and there were countless thousands of churches that began at the same time for the same reason. And why was that? We left the denominational churches for what purpose? Freedom. We were looking for a place where we could worship freely, and we wanted out from under this uh, uh, facade of we called religion. So most of my life I've been very, like, um, I don't even like the word religion because it came to mean something different. Um, it came to mean something that was dead. It wasn't live walking with Jesus. It was structure. It was how you cut your hair. It was how, how you did this, how you did that. It was a lot of rules and a lot of externals and uh, how you acted in church and how you didn't act in church. And, and they weren't things that were scriptural. They were things that were, were man-made and became very stuffy and boring. And it was never meant to be that way. So what did we do? We began churches, for better or for worse. We launched out. There were so many people that were hungry for this, and there had been an awakening, a renewal of the Spirit that fueled it. That happened. That, it wouldn't have happened without that. It was not organized, and it went the whole way across our country. The Jesus movement, those hippies, those whatever that came out of the, the wildness, they, they became the heartbeat of this move and the new music and the new songs. And our nation was very, very much like that, more so than you will that you than you think. And so, I've been reading. There was a I, last week I referred to a book by Ned Ryan, R Y U N, um, and he does such an excellent job of building the story and giving you a picture. And the climax of it for me in that book was that. He showed this picture of after the Declaration of Independence, 11 years later, we were in trouble, desperate trouble, because we needed to be united, and the Articles of Confederation were not strong enough to bring the colonies together. There wasn't a, com a common currency exchange. There were pretty serious disputes about boundaries of of whose colony started where and ended where, um, and there were, there were a lot of issues. We celebrated our Declaration of Independence, the 4th of July in 1776. By uh, 1787, our uh, founders, the men that were really watching over this, called a conference like, we have got a convention. We've got to come together and we've got to create something that brings us together because we have needs. We are desperate. Our fine, the, the, there was, there's no economy. And we have enemies that are crouching at our doors. There had already been what we called the, the French-Indian War that, went, that actually took place all over the world. And uh, the Spanish were in Florida and they were threatening, they were moving forward, everybody wanted this land. The French were in Canada, coming up the Mississippi, moving in this way, and, and of course the, the Native Americans were 
in the middle of that mix being used and played by probably both sides. That was the whole thing was very tragic. Lots of stuff going on, and somehow God is is has intention of creating the United States of America that was so so unique. And this uh, Constitution. When I finally got old enough to. Um, and it wasn't that long ago, to realize the uniqueness of the Constitution, I was befuddled. I said, I, I went, how did they know to come up with this? How did they create this? this so, it's so unique. It's so different. And so um, one of the things that's being threatened at this moment is our very Constitution. Um, and so I know in our... Our trip down uh, to Florida a few weeks ago, Phyllis and I, we literally uh, were reading the Constitution in the car. Like, if you look at it with fresh eyes, you go, wow, this is fascinating. Like, it's, we should know it. It's, it's, and, and, it, and again, it's so unique. It's not so much rules and what you can do, what you can't do. But it's, it's, it's the declaration of our freedoms, the Bill of Rights and all the elements of it. And it's it's phenomenal, and it's meant to uh, to protect us. But even beyond all that, are those three first three words: "We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union." See, they didn't have a union; they had colonies, and the colonies prospered because of they they uh, they walked out covenant among, and they they had. Things in common. They had a faith that was in common, and they had where they came from was in common. But as the years progressed, people came from all over the world to get here because of this dream, this this potential of being free. They were all seeking, especially religious freedom, expression of worship, and place where they wouldn't be persecuted. And so they came, and, and this thing multiplied. It got complex. It's like, how do we create something? And don't forget this. Just like we as a new church, we were so paranoid about being like the old churches that we we're a little left of center or right of center or whatever center you want to call it. We didn't want structure, but that was disastrous. We didn't want leaders, but that was a problem. You know, we had pastors that didn't want to be called pastors. You know, stuff like that. And we were, we were, why was that? Because we were fighting the old, like we don't want to look like that. And so at this moment that the, that the Constitution was created and they came together, like we've got to come together, come up with something. They were fighting a lot of paranoias and their, their people and their constituents from where they came from were like, one thing don't do or we'll kill you. Like, this was a matter of life and death. Do not turn this into a monarchy. Don't turn it into an oppressive government. And so they worked very hard to create something that didn't look like where they came from. And actually, it was a combination of things they observed and had studied. These were very studied men that put this together and worked on this and they'd taken some things there were different things this had been tried before but it never was successful and this this idea of we the people wow we the people govern that's why the church cannot check out we we come to this point and i've been one of those people politics and is dirty so we don't want anything to do with it 
listen, in every church, there is a need for government leadership and, and uh, laws of, of order, how you do things. How, unless, if you don't have that, there'll be chaos. A lot of churches tried to do without those things and it didn't go well. You've got to come up with stuff. I remember when I was, was working out our book of order and I, I labored to uh, keep things in this place where we didn't become, we couldn't become political. We couldn't, like the voting and the, all, the, all the kind of stuff. And, and yet you had to have enough structure to, to um, fulfill being a corporation, fulfill being things in our state. So there were things to do and then things not to do. And so I labored with this, how to, how to lay this out, our foundations, how we would function. How our government, how, what, what the leader would look like, how leaders became leaders, what, what was the process? Because I didn't want things of the old that were bound, binding. And so there was, there was a labor to maintain the freedom, maintain something that could be truly led by the Spirit and have a precedent of it needs to be the Lord, word of the Lord, those things. In order to create a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty in our, to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Wow. And so that was what they, and they did create that. They created that precious, precious thing. Reading from Eric McTaxis, uh, awesome, this book, If You Can Keep It. It comes from a woman named, uh, that phrase comes from a woman named Mrs. Powell. At, at the end of this uh, uh, convention that these leaders were having and the conclusion of writing the Constitution, she approaches um, um, uh, Benjamin Franklin, I think, yes. She approaches him and it's like, well, what do we have? She was very intelligent, very wise. What do we have? Do we have a monarchy or do we have a republic? To which he replied, a republic if we can keep it. And that phrase needs to really come forth for us even as a nation and especially a church if we can keep it because we the people maintains, uh, absolutely necessitates that we keep it, that we keep our freedoms, that we keep our rights, and that we are self-governing. It's a great experiment. It never worked before. We've gotten 200 years plus. It's threatened at the moment. We've gotten this far, but it's something that is ordained from this. It comes out so much, so hand-in-hand hand with, with scriptural principles. Let me read, and I'll turn to a scripture. In 1776, Eric is, is, uh, uh writes this book, so good. A nation was formed in a way that a nation never had been formed. It was something entirely new. The nation as idea. Now, now understand, up till now, there were things, well, he'll explain better than I will. For the first time, a nation was created that was not merely a group of ethnically or tribally similar people, nor was it a nation composed of disparate, disparate, I'm not saying that word right, 
groups held together by a strong leader. Disparate grace groups. Until the advent of the United States of America, these were the two groups into which nations must fall. There was no other option or category. Most countries fell into the first category because every Frenchman or German or Greek or Japanese knew that his country was made up of others similar to him in ethnic makeup, language, and culture. Anyone who did not share these things was a foreigner. In the second category, we may place all empires, such as those of Alexander the Great and the Romans and the British Empire, and in more recent times, the Iraq of Saddam Hussein, which was a nation of Shia Arabs, Sunni Arabs, and Kurds, who, but for the brutal peace kept by their strongman dictator, would have been at war with each other. We, our leaders knew that. You mess with that, you may not like the leader that pops up in his place, and that, that was why, because they, were, they, they had to be very strong and not even who we would like to keep those groups from destroying each other. The country was born in 1776, however, fit neither of these categories, standing quite apart in the history of nations and peoples, but what was it exactly? And where had it come from? It was a nation held together by an idea by citizens who brought into, who bought into that idea. They were of different backgrounds and different religions. Some of them lived in Maine and others in Virginia and others in Georgia, others in all colonies in between, but they all were Americans because they voluntarily believed in that idea that a nation could be held together by people believing in an idea was unprecedented. As I have said, it had never happened before and has really never happened again. It was nothing more and nothing less than this singular idea that held America and Americans together and the idea in which they believed was, in a word, liberty. Liberty. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. It was for liberty that he set you free. And now a whole nation that is founded on that concept. That is why, as Americans, we value even uh, allowing other religious beliefs. As long as we can keep ours, we don't want to control that. It is also the journey and the history of our church, looking for that place where we can hold very steadfastly to the elements of Scripture and yet maintain our liberty. We talk a lot in the church about legalism and being under the law and rules as opposed to following the Spirit. And yet there come those that uh, uh, exercise licentiousness to just do what they want because they, they don't want any rules or any, you know, it's, it's all good. And so we have to maintain this place where we have liberty, but there have to be 
things in place, boundaries set, in order for there to be peace. Otherwise, there's chaos, as we know. For the sake of liberty, and that was the idea, and that was the great experiment of a Statue of Liberty, <laughs> like it's all, it's all over. And yet it's really neat to come to this place where you go, this is what holds us together. This was, is what being an American is. That, that freedom, that ability, and that was what was so attractive. People beating down our walls, so to speak, to get in. to be a, They wanted to be a part of that. And so... They could come from all over, and they could be unique in, in where they came from, but they would come to become Americans where we are not a particular people, but we are of many places, but we come under this one thing where there's unity. Some of our greatest patriots and passionate patriots in this country are people that have come from other nations. And they remember all too well what it was like. Let me speak now about something that Eric McTaxis said, how did I miss this? And like I said, there are a lot of things in our learning history in our lifetime that was erased. And um, you like uh, that experience that George Washington had with this angel coming and talking to him about the, 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 the three, you know, how, what, what was the term? The three, um, all of a sudden I lost the word. Uh, yeah, the three attacks that would come, the three wars, the three things. And uh, we're in, we believe we're in that third one. And he had a visitation that ex described it exactly. That is not in the history books. Like, it's in history. It was in official places, but no one, in, no one bothered including that as we grew up, did they? No, uh-uh. Or how often our leaders prayed, sincere prayed, asked God's divine, sovereign help and guidance. It was, it was all through, but it was erased as we came in because uh, that was a bad idea. <clears throat> okay. Eric Metaxas discovers this, and there was a man I referred last week. He was French. Um, Alex did Tocqueville. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but he was French. He was sent to study him and another man, sent to our nation to study life here. And it was in the um, 1800s. He was sent to study to find out what actually our prisons and some other things. And as he came, he his findings were just amazing, his journey of research. And, um, yeah, I'm just fascinated with, with the whole thing. Let me get started here. So, in, um, I'm trying to see who said this. If America was indeed a country created not because of ethnic or tribal boundaries, but instead because a people had come to believe and therefore embody a set of ideas, how could America be said to exist if almost no one anymore knew what those ideas were? And truly, because we've been distracted with a lot of other things, it's easy to lose the focus for that, isn't it? So, yeah, we're all, we have, all have something here to say about that or uh, a part to be responsible for that. As succinctly 
as this book that was, may have been from, no, a, a man named Oz, O-S, his first name, wow. Uh, Guinness, G-U-I-N-N-E-S-S, his writings, he wrote, he wrote a book, and in it he wrote this, that he, he discovered this triangle of freedom, that freedom requires virtue, virtue requires faith, and faith requires freedom. The three go to round and round, supporting one another, ad in, infinitum, like they go around. It's the song that never ends. Those three, those three things go around. Like Now, this is fascinating. Freedom requires virtue. And our, they're, discuss, they're like, it has to have this. The Articles of Confederation that were before the Constitution which governed the 13 former colonies were simply too limited to be effective for a sovereign nation. The founders gathered in Philadelphia to create a government that was stronger than what the Articles of Confederation made possible. But that was not too strong, that was not, but that was not too strong, and what they were doing took the form of that document known to us as the Constitution. It would describe the government of the new nation and it would be its legal foundation. Benjamin Franklin alludes to the problems they had been having before that summer in the second paragraph of a letter that he wrote, but it is the first paragraph that he says something quite surprising to modern American sensibilities. Now, Benjamin Franklin wasn't an Orthodox Christian. He was a, he was a good man, he wrote a lot of good things, uh, very, he was very wise, but he not, was not an Orthodox Christian. John Adams, our second president, of course, he was an Orthodox Christian, studied theology. He was super solid Christian. But even Benjamin Franklin writes this, only a virtuous people, he declares, are capable of freedom. I say all these things so we can shed off any last remaining shame of being Christian, of putting Jesus first in our life, of letting him work on us, of, of having a standard, even when it's sometimes it feels impossible to walk out this Bible. It's still a standard. It sets a boundary that keeps pulling us back. And we can be angry or we can be jealous or we can have all kinds of reactions and, and, and rash th things that stir us up and we're ready to go do something rash, okay? And, and yet this, this pulls us back. When we come to our senses, we're like, I can't do that. I can't talk like that. I can't do that. Like we come back because this, this, this boundary pulls us back. And then this person of Jesus living in our life uh, causes, gives us the ability to be righteous. Outside of that, we don't even have the ability to, to redeem ourselves. So here are founders acknowledging that it only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. It is a staggering statement, especially from Franklin, who was no blue-nosed moralist, nor even a traditional Orthodox Christian. What does he mean by this, and how can he say it so matter-of-factly and so confidently? He is not merely saying that virtue and freedom are linked. He goes far beyond that to say that without one, the other is impossible. If the point isn't clear enough, he goes on to say more. As nations become corrupt and vicious, he says, 
They have more need of masters. The root of the word vicious is vice. The word simply means full of vice or addictions or being caught up in things, right? So Franklin, without feeling the need to explain himself much, and this is the other thing that Eric Metaxas realized, this was so much a part of their thinking, our founders, that they didn't say much about it because it was just understood. This is how they looked at things. He's bluntly saying freedom requires virtue and that less virtue in and that less virtue inevitably begets less freedom. Less virtue begets less freedom. In his day, one hardly needed to be a churchgoer to see this. So goes on. Let me skip forward. In 1776, another of the founders, John Adams, who in contrast to Franklin was a committed and theologically orthodox Christian, made the same point in a letter to his cousin, Zabdiel Adams. He writes... The only foundation for a free constitution is pure virtue. Again, we must ask ourselves, what world did Adam, Adams live in that he could say something like that without the need to explain it or to qualify it? And what ideological world do we live in that we are so surprised by it? Adams even went on to warn that if the people of a newly formed United States did not have virtue in greater measure in the years ahead than they did when he was writing, they would not have a liberty that would last. They may charge their rulers and forms of change their rulers and forms of government, but they will not obtain a lasting liberty. They will only exchange tyrants and tyrannies. Adams knew that this was the secret, the thing that would tie it all together. In the Federalist Papers, which serve as a kind of mid midrash commentary on the Torah of our founding documents, James Madison, too, makes the link between virtue and freedom. And uh, he, goes, he goes on to say, there is a degree of depravity in mankind that requires a certain degree of circumspect and distrust, so there are other qualities in human nature that justify a certain portion of esteem and confidence. Republican government, and I don't think he's talking about Republican Party versus Democrat. Republican go government, it's as an adjective, uh, presupposes the existence of these qualities in a higher degree than any other form. Were the pictures that have been drawn by the political jealousy of some among us faithful, faithful likenesses of the human character, the inference would be that there is not sufficient virtue among men for self-government and that nothing less than chains of de despotism, and remember, despotism is when a ruler rules, boom, point black. Everything is, is you listen to the king or you die. You do what I tell you or you die. Like that's despotism that they just impose their leader, their rulership. Alex de Tocqueville traveled to America with his lifelong friend, Gustave de, de Mont, Mont Beaumont. The French government, the so-called July monarchy, had sent them to examine the prisons and penit penitentiaries in America. How interesting. I don't know why they did that, but they did. 
with an eye to bringing what they learned back to France, but his travels and investigations in America would range much further and wider. Tocqueville found himself generally marveling at the American people and the democracy that they had established that flourished now over a half a century since their revolution. Why had the French Revolution ended in a nightmare of guillotine executions and worse? So we know the French Revolution, the poor, the, fine, the oppressed finally rise up and then they murder and massacre all, all the people that were over them. And they still had a mess. You've all thought it, I know. I'll just leave that alone. Yeah. I don't think we have time for that many confessions today. When he returned to France, he wrote his now classic two-volume work, Democracy in America. So he, he studied it implicitly. Um, he writes this. Not until I went to the churches of America and heard... That makes me... Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. He, further on, he writes, the secret to American freedom was American virtue. Of course, he didn't mean that Americans were somehow inherently good. No one could or should believe that a desperate, disparate, I still don't know that word, I should have looked that up, group of people on one continent would be somehow inherently better than another group or another continent. That would be akin to racism. True. This was something about the culture of America, about America's shared values. The difference was not in their genetic makeup, nor in their drinking water, nor even in their beliefs. It was in their behavior. It was not just what they, it was what they lived. It was what was deep inside of them. Skipping down the word Tocqueville used was moors, M-O-R-E-S, and a moor is something you tie a ship to. Like if you're coming into dock, it's those big pylons. You wrap up. A moor shores up your, your, your vessel. Meaning those habits of central importance accepted without question and embodying the fundamental moral views of a group. He wrote, I considered Moores to be one of the great general's causes responsible for the maintenance of a democratic republic. And then he said that by the term Moors, he meant habits of the heart. In the same book, Tocqueville put it out as bluntly as Franklin or Adams had, writing, liberty cannot be established without morality. I've said this from the beginning. We have the, we carry this. This is what we give ourselves. This is why we come to church, to keep trying to uh, come and receive teaching and the fellowship of one another and walking in the spirit. To do what? To, to get this centralized in our heart, to redeem us so that we, we are these people because this government, this constitution needs to rest on a moral people. 
as soon as it doesn't, it's in trouble. It wasn't designed to, to control people. It depended on people having an inner virtue, inner convictions. The next, the next part of the triangle, virtue requires faith. The idea of virtue and morality, divorce from religion and faith was unthinkable. Again, John Adams, the second president, he writes this, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled. We don't, have a, we don't have a military strong enough to deal with people that have unbridled passions where there are no boundaries set and no sense within them of what is right and wrong. Ad avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Adams understood that the secret of self-government is that the people must themselves be self-governing which is to say they must be motivated by something beyond the law. Each individual must govern himself, and for this, this morality was plainly necessary. But in the uh, penultimate, I don't know that word, sentence Adams con conflates these ideas of morality and religion because for him, as for most others of the era, religion was necessary to the success of the American experiment. Um, Tocqueville writes this, upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was for the first thing, was the first thing that struck my attention and the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences revol resulting from this new state of things. In France, I had almost always seen the spirit of religion, see, and the spirit of freedom marching in opposite directions. So the spirit of religion, spirit of freedom, they were at odds with each other, marching in opposite directions. But in America, I found they were intimately united and that they reigned in common over the same country. Tocqueville also said that there was no country in the world where the Christian religion retains a great influence over the souls of men than in America. In other words, there is an authority, but it seems uh, stems from a voluntary, which is to say a free obedience to God. Despotism may govern without faith, like just oppression. Control everybody, keep everybody, you know, through threats, through, through uh, um, force. But liberty cannot. Religion is much more necessary in the republic, which they set forth in glowing colors, than in the monarchy, which they attack. It is more needed in democratic republics than in, other, in any others. How is it 
possible that society should escape destruction if the moral tie is not strengthened in proportion as the political tie is relaxed? And what can be done with a people who are their own masters if they are not submissive to the deity, to God? So it is that submissiveness to God that qualifies us to be the people of this constitution, this, uh, of our government. It was designed to rest on us. It's horrible if we abandon it. If, if only an attitude that we don't realize, and we've lost so much hope in our country, in our, in our um, judicial system, we've lost a lot. We've become very... Um, um, sadistic as well. Um, cynical, thank you. We've been very cynical, become very cynical of it. And there, there's no faith declaration in our cynicism like, be careful. If you're, tell yourself this, if I've been, if I've become cynical about something, I've given up on it to change. Now that brings it back, doesn't it? If you're cynical of something or someone, then you don't actually have any faith that they'll ever be different or changed. We do it with people sometimes, especially once they've disappointed us or betrayed us or we, we become cynical. It's like, oh, there's no hope for them. So we'll do it. We definitely do it with our government. It feels hopeless. But may your heart be encouraged. Our, the, the foundations are rooted in this. And we, we need to show up. And what, whatever that looks like, it doesn't matter what it looks like for you. You, you need to know that. Um, let me wrap this up. Um, George Washington, often wrongly cited as a mere deist, more beholden to the ideas of the French Enlightenment than the Christian faith, concurred on all of the above in his farewell address at the end of his second term, he says this, let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained, that, that morality of the presupposition that it can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on the minds of particular, of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail and exclusion of religious principles. In other words, it's foolish to think it can even prevail without, without this standard being uh, hot-wired into it. On the last, th last, the third part of the triangle is faith requires freedom. Again, it is what we pursue as a church, freedom, to have boundaries and standards that we hold high and then maintain freedom. It's it takes some work. It's so easy. I came out of a denomination that the way they kept us looking Christian was cut your hair this way, wear this kind of clothes, not that kind of clothes. This is acceptable. That's not acceptable. We, we can make fun of uh, uh, the Amish community or different communities that, with their... It, it, we, we've all been there. And what is that? It's, a, it's an attempt by religion, of leaders with good intentions, actually, normally, to keep the world from getting in and affecting us. But it 
creates this other monster, doesn't it? So we want to, we want to come to be mature. Um, I say this occasionally. To be led by the Spirit, it requires a person to be mature. Being led by the Spirit is not for the immature because the immature will use it as a license to sin. But the mature will consider being led by the Spirit as very valuable, but they will do it out of their maturity rather than out of just doing what they want, they feel. Faith requires freedom. Religion and freedom were thought to be bitterest enemies. Interesting. It's true. It's true. We have that mentality. Um, and he goes into this section, I'll, I'm going to finish up, um, that this, this thing that was, um, I wish I would have. And I think it had to do with, um, or what I want to touch on, it's right here, but I'm looking for the, the right thing that I highlighted, <clears throat> was the separation between church and state that actually wasn't the, in the Constitution. It was just, it was, it was something that was said that was, that's what I'm looking for. Um, and it actually... The purpose for that statement was to protect the church so the church would maintain not under the government. I don't want to see a church state, actually. That would be horrible. I don't want to see a church. Those are bad governments, too. There are some church states. They, they I don't want that. But I also don't want the government controlling the church. We need to maintain our independence our our true freedom so that we can speak into this and hold them accountable for their conduct for who they are for what they do the decisions they make we need to maintain that is, that is not that we're not allowed to speak that's so that they can't control us and shut us down that's what that's about to exist and function was religion, but religion itself could not properly function unless religion were detached from the government. Only when religion was truly free could it be true religion, which is true. And only then could all the other freedoms follow that this was never possible until the last years of the 18th century tells us that it is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. Many things had to be in place for it to be possible, but there were two crucial things that must be in place for all of it to work, and these two things were not planned by anyone, nor could they have been. One was that the colonies would somehow be more united than they were at the beginning of that century, and the other was that the citizens of those colonies possessed a much deeper understanding of self-government and of the faith that would make it possible. And so this, this is, it's our, it's, it's our virtues, our, our, let me go through this one more time, um, just the, these, that freedom re requires virtue, that virtue requires faith, and that faith requires freedom. That's perfect for who we are as a church, like what we, what we believe, like these elements 
have to be in place. And it's, it's so good to just pull these out. So excellent book, like very readable, not, not complicated or deep, but very well. This Eric Metaxas, he's really shown up in my, you know, for me, um, great interviewer. He's done some really neat things. And, um, and so we can celebrate without reserve our country our nation and our constitution it it was built for us to be very involved especially as citizens not disconnected and things were put in place read your constitution if you don't have a copy of it you can even for free get handbooks um there there's actually i've actually started listening it's just so it's just good there's, a, I forget his first name because I just began to listen to him. I've heard him a few times, Mr. Constitution. And, and he's, he's, he's a teacher, but um, he, he, his proponent is that the Constitution is not difficult to understand. It's laid out so that it can be understood. Most of our judicial system is filled up with case law where you study all of these laws that have been passed and made and how how. Uh, the judicial uh, judged on them, and it's no wonder it's so complicated and complex. But the, but the Constitution itself was never designed to be that way, and that if we go back to just learning that, and it, it, it empowers us. We find our place. We find our, our place to walk and place to be, and we don't have to be ignorant about these things. Uh, it, 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 it just... It's, it's a good thing. And so I've been listening to videos and um, teachings on the Constitution. It's like, wow, it's interesting. And, and once you know that and you, you understand it, then you're not angry anymore. You, you, have a, you understand what your rights are. You understand how, what, what was designed. And sometimes in, in the church, like, we don't have any rights. It's like, ah, be careful with that. Like... Um, as Americans, you have an obligation. Like, it's not okay to check out. I'll just say that. It's not. And I don't care what any of you look like in walking that out, but don't check out. Don't feel like you should, we should have a voice. The church should have a voice. I should, I should be able to speak to issues of the day and, and have wisdom for it. We carry wisdom. We should have wisdom. We should have insight. If things are left, John the Baptist lost his head for speaking out against that leader that had committed was uh, committing sin. Was it Herod? Was yeah. Should he have not done that? It's like, oh, John the Baptist shouldn't have gone there. He shouldn't have got involved in politics. You know, it's like he needed to. It was the right thing to do. He needed to speak out against that. We need to have, we need to speak. Hate? No, never. There are good ways to go about it. Should we be angry and triggered all that? No, that, that really doesn't accomplish anything. That just make, ask, exasperates the, the issue. But to have wisdom, to have good foundation for what we believe, what we feel, what is right, what is wrong. Research things, get educated about things that in, in a good way. Our, our nation depends on that and the freedom and liberty of other people. If you can't do it for yourself, do it for the victims of the atrocities.
and things are really off right now. There are over 450 people being held in jail, same event that I went to on January 6th because they walked into the Capitol as the Capitol Police waved them in. They didn't break anything, they didn't do anything, they weren't insurrectionists, they're thrown in jail and just, boom, just shut away. They're not gonna hear any of their cases until 2022. That's totally unjust. One, well, I believe one of the people's a 69-year-old grandmother. So, it's, so we need to, to speak and, and bring this forth and not be quiet, not cower, not whatever, that we have rights. I, I could go on and on, but I, I'm going to pull up. Um, but you can do this in a righteous way. And I, I believe when you, the more we realize what our constitute, the, the value of it and, and who we are. I mean, if we're going to check out of the planet, then okay. But I don't know if that's going to happen. We're going to be here. And every day we're here. There are victims of the injustices that have no voice that have no voice, human trafficking, there are people going after, delivering them at, at their own expense, going out and going after things lawfully. Lawful, I'm not talking about unlawfully doing, but lawfully doing that. But they often have to do it at their own expense, at their own reputation. They're facing these horrible, horrible criminal people and delivering people constantly. It, is it on the news? No, all kinds of things get broken, found out, um, children and women and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it just doesn't get talked about. But it, it is happening. There are things happening. And we're looking for that celebration day that um, we hope is coming soon for our nation. Father, we just thank you for our country and our nation. And we do have a voice. And we do carry something. Our, our pursuit of you qualifies us to be good, healthy to citizens and to make a difference. Give us a voice to speak truth in the darkness because the light overcomes the dark. We don't have to be angry. We don't have to be vindictive. We can be calm and peaceful and believe that you are our deliverer. We ask that you save our nation, rescue us from this, this moment as, we, as things seem to hang for us, feel that they're hanging in the balance, that righteousness and justice will prevail, and that we will be delivered from the evil. And we thank you for all of your provision, all of your promises. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, John.